If you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, we're going to read verses 22 through 35. Luke 2, beginning with verse 22. When the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Thank you for the reading of the scripture. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this Christmas season that we've been through. Dear Lord, as we look forward to a new year, I pray that it would be centered on Christ. I pray that uh, we would grow in our faith, we would take stronger stands for Christ, and that in any and all conflict that we have, we would know that peace is found in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. All right, so we have uh, we finished off Christmas, and I know some of you have taken down the tree and the decorations, obviously some of us continuing continue on. Uh, celebrating Christmas through Valentine's Day. Y'all know how much I love Christmas. But actually, um, you know, Christmas, the the 12 days of Christmas, y'all know the song. I was talking to Dobby about this, and the 12 days of Christmas starts on the 26th and goes through Epiphany Sunday. Any of y'all know what Epiphany Sunday is? Those of y'all in traditional church uh, would know it's the Sunday of the wise men. We'll celebrate that next week. But the 12 days of Christmas actually starts after Christmas. So we're in the 12 days of Christmas. We're looking at a familiar chapter, Luke chapter 2, which is known as as the Christmas chapter. You have the manger and the angels and the shepherds. But this is a passage that uh, is not so familiar and honestly not uh, so much used in, in preaching and teaching. It's a couple days after Jesus' birth that Jesus' parents take him uh, to Simeon. Uh, for his consecration, uh, and uh, Simeon is an old prophet who has been told by the Lord that he would see the Christ child, and he has this proclamation. Now, if you've been with us in Advent, you know we've been doing a theme called From Darkness to Light, that Advent and the Christmas season is the season of light, and light shines brighter in the darkness, if you were here Christmas Eve, you saw this place lit up with candles. It's a beautiful service. Look forward to that every year. But we're continuing that theme, even though Christmas is over. And in the spirit of from darkness to light, today we're talking about the darkness of conflict to the light of peace. 
and moving from conflict to peace. Now, that being said, I'm not talking about if there's conflict in your life, how to get out of it and find peace. Actually, what I'm meaning, to have the peace of Christ, we must go through conflict. To have that peace, to find his peace, we will go through conflict. You see what I'm saying? I'm not talking about if you have conflict now, be it in your marriage or work or friendships or relationships, and how to get out of that. I'm talking about to have the peace of Christ, we will go through conflict. It entails conflict. We have to go through conflict to have the peace of Christ. Why do I say this? We see it in this passage. Simeon says, This child, verse 34, is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel. Some will rise, others will fall. There will be conflict, and some will rise above it, and some will fall. He says to Mary, A sword will pierce your own soul too, verse 35. Sword piercing a soul is conflict. Simeon saying this child is going to bring about conflict. Now then, before we move on, you know, it's very easy to take the Christmas message for granted. The Christmas message is peace on earth. The Christmas message is Christ has come. God has come into the world. Light has come into a dark world. We take for granted what that actually means. You say, well, what does it mean? What it really means is that Jesus has come. He comes to bring peace, but he brings peace through a sword. He comes to rule. He comes to claim that all of this, the world, is his dominion. He comes to claim our lives. He comes to claim your heart. Have you all ever heard a beautiful piece of music? It is played many times in the Christmas season and Easter season. It is Handel's Messiah. You heard Handel's Messiah? Handel's Messiah, if you don't know it, you'll recognize it. It's, it's, it's known as the Hallelujah Chorus. Uh, when they say Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Uh, beautiful piece of music. I listened to it this week on the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Uh, they were playing it. And, you know, it's so beautiful and so powerful that we take for granted the words that it's saying. It says, if you listen to it, again, Handel's Messiah. It says, He shall reign forever and ever. And He shall reign forever and ever. King of kings, Lord of lords, and He shall reign forever and ever. Think about that. God has come into the world in Jesus Christ. Christ has come, and He's come to lay a dominion, to claim a dominion, to say, this is all mine. I mean, Jesus is God, is creator. He's saying, this is mine. And he is coming not, not just as a, as a child, but as a, as a warrior. As someone who is saying, you know, this is, you know, I am coming, I am here, it is mine. And we take that for granted. What Christmas means is that Christ is coming. He's saying, it is no longer the domain of darkness, light is coming to the world. It's kind of like a, uh, a scene out of the movie Braveheart. Y'all know I love movies. In the movie Braveheart, uh, Mel Gibson's character, William Wallace, uh, the Scottish are meeting the British on the battlefield, and they're trying to negotiate, and then William Wallace comes uh, into the center of the battlefield where the leaders are, uh, are negotiating, and they're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And William Wallace says, I'm going to pick a fight. Jesus comes to the world to pick fight. 
He's like, what do you mean pick a fight? And he is laying claim on your life. He's laying claim on this world. He's saying, it's mine. There's a picture of Jesus from Handel's Messiah. And I can't show it to you because we're not using the screen today. But the picture, the image of Jesus is Jesus in a white robe with blood stains on it and a white horse going to battle, going to war. And that is Jesus. Man, he is coming and he's taking control and he's taking charge. He's going Old Testament, if you want to use that phrase, on all of the dominions of darkness. And he's saying, this is mine. He is Lord, King of Kings. So I say all that to say, if we're going to have his peace, we'll go through conflict. He comes to bring peace, but he does it through conflict. Luke 12, he even says this. He says, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. He does bring peace, but it's through the sword. Y'all know I love history. If you think about World War II, how was peace achieved? Through D-Day, through conflict. Even personally, if you think about someone who has cancer, and some of y'all here have had cancer before, how do you get the cancer out? You cut it out. There's conflict. Peace in Christ comes through conflict. We see it in this passage, and we see it in our lives and in the Christian faith. Why does he bring conflict? How does he bring conflict? Well, I think he brings conflict in two really big ways. One is between people, and the other is within people. Jesus comes and he brings conflict between people, between friendships, relationships, families, and he brings conflict within people. First, how does he bring conflict between people? Well, first is because what Jesus says, what he claims, are repulsive things. Let me use that word, repulsive. That sounds very, very bad, but it is, it is very, very true if you think about it. I mean, verse 30 in this passage, Simeon says, My eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon's saying, this child is the salvation. This child is how we are saved. This child is how people are saved. As in, if you don't have Jesus, you are not saved. That is repulsive to some people. That, that means someone says, You mean if I'm just not a good, upstanding, morally decent person? And even if I don't have Jesus, I'm not saved? Yes, that's what it means. You mean it means that, well, all religions you know, don't just get you to the same place, you get to heaven? Yes, it's saying Jesus is the salvation. It is saying Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That is repulsive to some people, and that brings conflict between people. And it, it simply does. It kind of is what it is. There's no way... Around it, you know, there are a lot of books that are out now that say, you know, Jesus is a great spiritual mentor. Jesus is a great teacher, and Jesus really helps you just find your own path. Y'all, that that is a that is a fantasy. I mean, if if you look in the Bible, nowhere does it claim that Jesus was just this great teacher or a prophet or a moral leader. I mean. Look through the book of Mark, the oldest of the Gospels, and we're starting a study on Mark uh, in the next couple weeks in January. 
You know, Mark doesn't say anything about his teachings. He doesn't say anything about how great of a teacher it was. Over and over again in Mark, it talks about who is this man? Who is this Jesus? Who is this person? Who is this who forgives sins? Who is this that the winds and the sea obey him? Mark is saying over and over again, he is Lord. He is God. He's fully God, fully man. He's the Messiah. The Sermon on the Mount, the, the most famous sermon ever preached. I mean, it's, it's Jesus. It's his most famous sermon. He ends it with what matters on Judgment Day is whether you knew me or not. Whether you knew Jesus or not. Y'all, we, we got to get that. He ends the Sermon on the Mount saying, what matters is if you know me or not. Those are repulsive claims. And we state that as Christians and it's going to bring conflict between people. The other way Jesus brings conflict is he makes repulsive claims, but he has such an attractive life. I mean, you look at the life of Jesus and it is a life of just this humble compassion he loves children. He hangs with people. He, he hangs with sinners. He hangs with people that others would not hang out with, with, with prostitutes, with tax collectors, with, with drunks, with, with scoundrels. He, he parties with them. I mean, he, he goes to their parties. He sits with them. He talks to them. He laughs with them. Again, he loves children. He is humble. He has compassion. His life is attractive. And, and you know, so this is kind of like, you know, people see Jesus and they say, well, he says things that are so repulsive, but then I love his life so much. It's, it's almost like people would say, well, it's, it's kind of like a split personality. You know, I don't, I don't get this Jesus guy. He, he says things that are so radical, but look at his life. I mean, and that's who he is. And, and honestly, that's who we should be as Christians. That's what the church should be. You know, let me throw out a... Um, let me throw out a, a uh, hot button or two hot button words, conservative, liberal. You know, the big issue is, hey, is that church conservative or liberal? Hey, is that person conservative or liberal? I always think and say that the great churches, the greatest churches are both very, very conservative and very, very liberal. You're like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Here's what I mean. Churches are conservative as they look to Scripture and say, this is God's word. They're conservative and saying... Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They're conservative in that, you know, this is, we want to base our church on God's word, on Jesus Christ. Yet they are liberal in saying, we want to go out into the world. We want to do more for this world than, than any other organization or, or the peaceiest form of Peace Corps. Or, you know, we want to build houses. We want to help teachers. We want to send doctors. We want to teach and heal and evangelize and heal this world and so people can look at a church like i don't really get that i mean they're, they're really conservative but then they're they're kind of like socially liberal and that they're they're going and they're they're feeding the poor and they're 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 hanging out with people that you know other folks wouldn't hang out with it yes that's how jesus was people say i don't get that church well people didn't get jesus and he brought about conflict and this may offend some of y'all but that's that's how Great, wonderful, Christ-centered churches are. They're like Jesus. 
and Jesus can bring conflict. And not everybody liked Jesus. And so as his people, as his church, we need to follow him. Now he brings conflict between people, but then also I said he brings conflict within people, as in like it's personal within you, within me, within our hearts. He brings conflict. How he does this two ways. He brings conflict through repentance. You know, if you or I have a wound, if, if we're wounded, if we have a physical wound, a, a cut, and we need it to be healed. Uh, I'm not a doctor. We've got doctors in our congregation. I love our doctors. but And they can correct me if I'm wrong. But the first thing that has to happen is you put antiseptic on the wound and there is a sting. There's a, there's a burn. It, it hurts. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is we ask for forgiveness. We face up to our sin, and, and there's a sting to that. It, it hurts. But the only way to have repent, to have peace and have healing is we have to get that sting. We have to repent. Repentance is a very unpopular word because what it means is we've got to look in the mirror. We've got to look at our own hearts, and we've got to say, I was wrong here. That was not good. I'm sorry. And we've got to say it to God, and sometimes we've got to say it to other people. And, you know, normally you think about repentance like, hey, i got to say I'm sorry for stealing or lying or having adultery or coveting. Sometimes we just need to repent for who we are. And you're like, what do you mean by that? we got to repent for saying to God, God, I can do it on my own. we got to repent for wanting to live our own lives as independent agents. we got to repent for saying, God, I really don't believe that Jesus is enough and what he did on the cross is enough. I'm going to do it my own way. C.S. Lewis said, the only way to perfect peace is through repentance and exposure. I thought that's so interesting. He said repentance, but then he added exposure, saying, laying it all out. Here it is. So, yeah, we got to repent. We got to repent to God. I mean, I believe our lives should be one of repentance, daily repentance. I mean, we give you an opportunity to come up and pray every Sunday. I mean, you need to take it. You need to get on your knees and say, God, forgive me because I've gone my own way. God, forgive me. I thought I could do it on my own. We helped Jack, our oldest son, pray this prayer. And the prayer goes, God, help me to not think that I can do it on my own. Help me, God, to not do it on my own. Help me to always rely on you. And when I don't, forgive me. That's a, that's a prayer we need to pray. We need to repent. The other way that Jesus brings conflict within within our hearts is first through repentance, but then also through obedience, as in following him. That brings conflict in, in our hearts, in our lives. What do you mean? Many times in our lives, we will face a crossroads. We will cr- face a fork in the road. One way will lead to our own comfort. Another way will lead to obeying Christ. And many times, over and over again, we choose comfort. We choose pleasure. We choose this is good for me rather than obeying Christ. Because obeying Christ can hurt and it can bring conflict into our hearts. But to find perfect peace, we must obey. We must repent and obey. The thing about obedience is you always lose something. 
I mean, if you're going to obey Christ, you every time you will lose something. I mean, just in its simplest form, you're going to lose time. I mean, to say, oh, I'll give 15 minutes. I mean, I know that's like, you know, that can seem to some of us like such a, such a big thing to lose, 15 minutes of our time to do a devotion. I mean, come on, 30 minutes, an hour. You can lose a night going to a Bible study. You can lose a Sunday morning going to church. You can lose time serving God. You can lose, you can lose time. But then you may lose relationships. You may lose money. Because I, I don't need to do that deal. I don't need to, to invest in that thing because, you know, it's, you know, they're, you know, they don't have good scruples. They don't have good character. You may lose relationships. You may lose status. You may lose money. Everybody loses something when they obey Christ, but you find perfect peace. And when you lose things, it is very easy to be bitter. You know, I've pastored several years, and unfortunately, you know, I've come across so many people who are bitter at what life has thrown them. And then they can be bitter at God because they say, you know, I followed God, I obeyed, and look at, look at what I've got. Look at what I'm dealing with. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's a child who's gone astray. Maybe it's, you know, pick your poison and people get bitter. You think you're bitter. I'll give you an example of someone who ever had every right to be bitter. Many of you know of this, uh, this lady. She's got a thriving ministry all over the world, but it wasn't always like this. Uh, her name is Joni Erickson uh, Tata. Uh, Joni, uh, she, um, she was paralyzed from the shoulders down uh, when she was young. And so, you know, this is not just waist down, this is shoulders down. So she could not use her arms, could not use her legs. And, you know, she says that, you know, for years she was so bitter and mad at God for what had happened to her. And finally one day she said, you know, God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. God is in control. I'm going to obey him. And she began to find perfect peace. Even more, she began to serve God. She began to, to paint and write uh, with her mouth. She'd put a pencil or a paintbrush in her mouth and, and paint and write. And now she's, she's grown this ministry all over the world, written 20 or 30 books, uh, just an example um, for everyone, for me, can be for you, of someone who said, you know, God is in control, and regardless of what happens to me, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to obey him. Repentance, obedience. These things can be challenging. These things can bring conflict. They will bring conflict, but they will also bring peace. You know, people say, you know, this Christianity deal is so easy. It's, it's really for weak-minded people because, you know, you're saying, all I have to do is just accept Jesus, and it's for anybody. And we say, yeah, it's for anybody. Anybody can accept Christ. And it is easy. It's very easy. But the hard part is repenting. It's saying, I'm sorry, God. Saying, forgive me, God. Saying, God, I will trust you. And then obedience. I will obey you. So, you know, the message of Christmas, if you think about it, um, one of the messages you know, that, 
that we don't need to be crybabies. We, we shouldn't be crybabies because if we're going to have Jesus and we're going to have his peace, we're going to have conflict. We have to have conflict to get his peace. But it's okay. It is perfect peace. Scripture says, May the peace of Christ rest in you. May you know the peace of Christ which surpasses all understanding. I love that, which surpasses all understanding. So many of you, so many of us are striving for peace and there's tons of conflict in our lives. Listen, when we have Christ, that doesn't mean the conflict will automatically go away, but we can have a peace that surpasses all the world's understanding. And it's so easy. It's so easy. It may bring you conflict between people. It will bring you conflict between people. It'll bring conflict in your heart, but we can move through that conflict knowing that in Him there is perfect peace. We want you to have His peace. It is perfect. It surpasses all understanding. Look to Jesus. And we'll have it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray for peace. We pray that we have the courage to move through conflict, whether it's between people or within ourselves, and we can find peace in Christ. Help us to know that whatever conflict we face, there is always peace in Jesus. Help us to stand strong for Christ, yet also lead humble, compassionate lives. Help us to repent to you first and perhaps to others, and help us to obey. And let us know when we do these things, we will find your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.